Hi, this is Pastor JC. I want to thank you for listening to today's podcast here at Faith Outreach Church. We want to invite you anytime you're in the area to come by and visit us at 3001 Wallace Avenue here in Terre Haute, Indiana. Sit back and enjoy today's message. Um, I do think that their flight has already landed or is getting ready to land very soon because Pastor JC just texted me. So he's at least in a spot. Yes, he wait here. He says, <laughs> he says, how come you're not preaching? And then he says, just landed. So they are safe and sound on the ground. So praise the Lord. Um, and just as a side note, too, I don't know if you all have thought about Christmas for them, but I do know one thing that Pastor JC just loves, and that is Star Wars. He loves Star Wars, and there's a new movie coming out in December, so it might be a great thing to buy him all kinds of Star Wars things, things, all the Star Wars stuff, and ask him to tell you who they are and what they do and what movies they're in. I will tell you that Jessie really likes Star Wars, and that's the truth. She really does. Pastor JC, not so much, but I think it would be so funny if you said, we heard this. And so it must, everything Star Wars theme, as much as possible. I mean, anything and everything, movies, just all of it. Just shower him with Star Wars. Okay, so you guys will edit that out, and so he won't hear that. Um, okay, um, you know, we'll get serious now. Um, we, uh, we lately, when, when Earl and I get to talking at home, you know, things just kind of evolve and conversations just go and God just starts putting things in and putting things in and it wasn't too long ago we were talking about what God's intention for us is and that is to walk always in um, a place of peace in a place of rest in a place of constant stillness that is his design that is what he wanted for his church to always be in a place of constant peace and that just seems crazy you know, I, I, we were talking, um, we had pastors, uh, or not pastors, but we had Kevin and Andy Durant in. You guys have all heard Kevin and Andy Durant. They were here a year ago, about now, in fact. And so um, we were here at the same time they were, but we had them over this last weekend or week and a half ago um, to our church and had great services with them. And, and they're just wonderful people, and we really enjoy them. Um, and one of the things that, uh, that we were talking about with them is that, you know, we oftentimes do not fully see what um, we're not receiving all that God has for us because we're not at peace with it. So uh, Annie, was when she was ministering, she was talking about how quickly we get into a place of worry. And she said, you know, she was driving along, we've all done this, driving along the highway, and you see like a, a truck in front of you that's got stuff in it, you know, and it's bouncing around. And so what do you start thinking about? You start thinking about how, oh, what if that comes loose? What if that big old steel rod, that I-beam that that truck is carrying, just slides off the back of that truck right into my car? And so as you start unfolding all those things and you get into a place where you think, man, i got to get around that car. i got to get around that car. What if that thing comes off of there? And then I die. And then what's going to happen with, you know, who's my husband going to marry? <laughs> she said, I, that, that's what she said. She said she'd gotten to the point where she was no longer just in fear about that coming off of there and, and you know, damaging or hurting her. She was already dead and in the ground and her husband was remarried. You know, and so, you know, that's how we go. That's how our imagination nation will tend to flow. But that's not God's plan for us. It is never his design that we use our imagination to create these wild stories in our heads. But we do, don't we? And it most often is wrapped around a place of work. I was telling, and I, we haven't talked about this in a while, but um, when my uh, youngest, our youngest went to college, she moved 600 miles from home to go to college. 
And I'll tell you what, if there's ever a trial <laughs> to walk out, you know, in a place of, am I going to worry or am I going to be okay with this? You know, that was one of those times. Well, she, you know, we managed to get through the first three years and the fourth year she was uh, in her senior year and um, she was, had met this girl and she, this girl had said to her, she said, you know, I have seen you in classes and I just see you out and about with your friends and I see you in lead fellows and McKinsey had a role in the college and, and did a lot of events and so she was seen a lot by other students and she was telling that she, this girl had seen her and she said, I just wanted to be her friend. I just, I want to be her friend. I want to be her friend. Well, they ended up working on a project together and while they're working on this project together, they became friends and she told her, she said, I just have always thought you would be the best, you know, person to have as a friend and I just always wanted to be your friend. I'm so excited now that I'm your friend. Well, like a week later, this girl and her family were going on vacation to um, Charleston, South Carolina. And if you've ever been to Charleston, South Carolina, it's a great place to go. We've been. We really like it. It's one of Earl's favorite cities. I like Savannah a little better, but they're very similar. Um, but anyway, so she had never been. Mackenzie had never been to Charleston. And she's like, well, yeah, I don't have any plans. I might as well go with you. You know, free ride to Charleston and hotel paid for. And she's got this new friend and everything's great, right? And they were going to leave on a Thursday. And so she was telling me about this. And, and I don't know, if, do you remember where this is going? Okay. We, um, so she, I tried to call her like on, you know, Wednesday night or whatever. And I didn't get her and I didn't talk to her on Thursday. And Thursday um, night come along, I texted her and she didn't respond. And I tried to call her phone on Friday morning and she didn't answer. And I'm driving to work. At this time I worked uh, in, the, in the secular world. I worked for a bank. And I had a good hour plus drive every day, no matter where I was going, unless I was working from home, I was going to have this long drive. So I'm in the car. Left alone with my thoughts, my child's not answering her text messages or her phone calls, and I start thinking about the fact that here she is going, you know, I knew she was going on vacation. Is it today that she leaves? Was it yesterday she left? When did she leave? I start thinking about what did she say? I don't remember the details. You know, and I suddenly think about how important those details are right now because I want to know, I, have to, I may have to tell the police when the last time I talked to her was and what her plans were. You know, I, I don't know. All this stuff starts to flood my head. And then before, before long, I've decided that this friend was just watching her because she was, you know, stalking her to see if she was maybe a good candidate for sex trafficking. You know, <laughs> you know her parents were so and mixed up in some big ring and they, you know, the, Charleston was probably just this cover story and they're off in some, you know, foreign land and she's being auctioned off to the highest bidder. I mean, that's where your brain goes. She doesn't know I went that far with it, but you know, at that time, that's where my brain went. We have such a wild imagination that we can imagine these crazy things, but for some reason we can't wrap our heads around the things that God has done for us and how we should be in a constant place of peace because everything that he can do for us far exceeds what our imaginations can even fathom. You know, and so we talk ourselves into these giant big plans, but we can't seem to talk ourselves into doing things like this for God, right? And so anyway, we were having this conversation. Thankfully, I have a wonderful grounded in the word husband who I called that morning and he talked me down. And within, I don't know, a half hour later, she called me and she said, well, my phone had died and I, and I had a bad reception and I had it on the charger, just powered off, blah, blah, blah. So the story goes. She's alive and well today, thank the Lord. So she graduated from college and she's not worrying me near as much as she used to. But the thing of it is, is that we do, we get into a place where we can, we can conjure up all kinds of things and we can live in a constant place of worry. And that's what the world wants you to do. How many times have you been on social media and you see the little memes or the little, the little stories or whatever about a mother's worry, about a mother's love? Mothers don't love unless they're constantly in a place of worry over their child. You know, and that's, that's the mentality of the world is that as a mother, we should be worried for our children all the time. Yeah, we're just not a good mother if we're not in a place of worry. 
nonsense. <laughs> the truth is, is we're a better mother if we're in a place of peace. And our better parents, whoever it is, you know, I say mother because most of the time they are, but it is, it's true for parents alike, men and women, fathers and mothers. But the thing is, is that that's how the world lives. The world lives in a place of worry and concern. The world lives in a place of um, unrest all the time. But that's not God, how God intended for us to live. His intention is for us to always be in a place of peace, where we are in a constant, steady standstill. Not standstill like we're not going anywhere, but standstill as in we're standing firm on what he said, right? And so often, we find ourselves, though, going from crisis to crisis to crisis to crisis, right? We get on the roller coaster ride, and we get up, and we're thinking about all the things that we've got coming up, the bills that we have to pay, the, um, you know, the, the whatever it is. And I always think of finances, because that tends to be one of the biggest things that most people worry about, right? I mean, it's Christmas time. Tis the season. <laughs> and that's what the world thinks, that we should all be concerned about Christmas and money and all these sorts of things. And the thing is, is that we should, God intended for us to always be in a state of, of peace because he has provided for us everything we need. He has said that we can have constant peace. He says, how many times does he tell us in the Bible, do not worry, do not worry, do not worry. Those things are not for you. Those things are for the world. It's the devil's system that should have you in a place of worry and concern and unrest. But it, according to God, you should be in a place of peace and constantly staying in that place of peace, right? Okay, so that all sounds really good, right? So how do we do that? You know, or or uh, what do we have on that? So um, as we were, you know, the thing is, is that he has told us that he's provided everything that we need for life and godliness, right? You know that scripture. We all know that scripture. He has provided everything we need for life and godliness. And so life and godliness, that pretty much covers it. That tells us that life, which is what we're living all the time, is taken care of, and our ability to walk in holiness is taken care of, right? In life and in godliness. She is not liking this a bit. <laughs> so if every single provision is taken care of and everything that we have for life and godliness is done and, and taken care of, then one thing we know is that God cannot lie. So we, we can put all of our faith and trust in that fact, right? Everything is taken care of. So we should still be in this place of peace. How did he give it to us? What has, what has he done to allow for this? He has given us a new covenant, right? The old covenant is gone. We're living under the new covenant. How did we receive the new covenant? If we're born again. That's all it takes, right? That's kind of the one thing. So what is a covenant? A covenant is similar to a will. You know, I worked in the banking industry for a long time. We saw a lot of wills. We saw a lot of things like this and, um, and trusts and all these sorts of things. But a covenant is basically a will. So basically the way that a will works, and actually it'll tell you. Here, let's just go to Hebrews chapter 9. In Hebrews chapter 9, the word of God tells you how a will works, right? Hebrews chapter 9, verse 16 I'm reading out of a different translation. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 16 and 17 says, Now when someone makes a covenant or a will, it is necessary to ratify it with the death of a sacrifice. The will goes into effect only after the person's death. While the person who, is, who made it is still alive, the will cannot be put into effect. 
So that's what a will is. That's the way we see a will in this earth. Any of you have ever been an heir in a will? Someone had a fa you know, family will, we, we, several of us have. If you don't, you know what it is anyway. Someone dies and they have taken all their assets and they have put it into this will and they have designated heirs and those heirs then receive a portion of the assets. Now sometimes it's, it's not always, you know, sometimes it's an even split. They just say split all of that, you know, cash it all out, divide it equally among my heirs. You know, that is a common heir uh, or a common will. Uh, for the heirs, but then also there are heirs or there are wills that are designed where someone gets one thing, you know, like Becky might get the house, right? And then, um, you know, Earl might get the car, you know, and then uh, Rebecca over here may get all the cash, which might be $75, <laughs> you know. So you can see that that can, that sometimes wills are divided that way, right? But God's covenant with us is not designed that way. It's actually a little different than that, right? In God's covenant, there's really only one stipulation to be an heir, and that is what? In John chapter 3, verse 3, it says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So there's number one, we have to be born again. That's the only way that we can receive the inheritance we have in the kingdom of God. And number two, all heirs receive the same inheritance. We have all been given exactly the same inheritance as Jesus has, right? And he tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 16 and 17, For the His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children, and since we are His children, we are His heirs. And then it goes on and it says, uh, In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. And it, go, and it continues there. But the important thing is we are all children of God. And as such, we are heirs, co-heirs, not just co-heirs, but joint heirs. Co-heirs can actually mean that, like I said before, where Becky gets the, the house and Earl gets the car and um, Rebecca gets the rest of the money, that is co-heirs. That means you're all heirs, but not actually equal heirs, right? But under God's covenant, we are joint heirs. That means it's divided equally among all of us. However, let's think about that. How often, though... I'm just going to throw this out there because it's so, such an obvious one, and I use him all the time. He has no idea, and I'm sure he doesn't care. Kenneth Copeland. Do you think if you look at what Kenneth Copeland has compared to what I have, we look like we're, we're getting the same thing? Do we look like we're receiving the same way? No, it doesn't look like that. Do you know why? Because Kenneth Copeland has gotten a hold of something I'm still walking in, you know, or walking out. And the truth of it is, is that he doesn't have anything that I don't have. We absolutely have received exactly the same inheritance across the board, no matter what. He's not getting anything that I'm not getting. The only reason I haven't received it yet is because I haven't had my expector on yet. I haven't cranked it up into high gear like he has his. You know, he has gotten to the point where he is so full of um, everything, that, everything that's got in, in God's will that he is walking on the high end of this, right? I'm still learning, I'm still growing, and we're, we're getting there. We are. It doesn't, now, I'm not saying that everybody's going to have all his money. I'm just saying that we're still going to walk in all the same expectation of what the covenant says we can have. And that's what Kenneth Copeland does. And it's, it's not necessarily about the amount of money or, the, or the, even the success of, of a uh, um, ministry, or at least what it looks like on the outside, right? My success is not gauged by what the world thinks it is. My success is gauged by what God says he's asked me to do, and that's what I'm walking in. If I'm doing what he says, then I'm just as successful as what Kenneth Copeland might look like, 
right? So as a result, all I have to do is be obedient to God and do what he says, and I'm successful. So I'm still going to inherit all the same things that Kenneth Copeland does or anyone else does for that matter, right? Uh, we talked about the, I say this, we talked about this like I talked to you guys about this, but I haven't, this is all brand new for you. But I've, I've mentioned before, you have someone like Mother Teresa. Do you think of Mother Teresa as successful? She brought, you know, uh, basically sold out her entire life to give to the poor. So in God's eyes, if, she, if that's what he and Diddy asked her to do, she is successful. Donald Trump, you know, he, the two of those compared to each other look like opposites. But they're both successful if they're doing the will of God, no matter what it looks like to you or to I, right? And so God is going to, he, his inheritance is the same no matter what we look like on the outside. Amen? No, heir, no one heir has any more available to them than any other. There is not, you know, we are all equal heirs. We're all equal partners, and you don't have anything more available to you than I have available to me. It's what I draw on versus what you draw on. We all have an inheritance. We just got to draw it out. So if we're not walking in it, it's not because God didn't provide it. It's because we're not walking, we're not walking it out. And his intention is for us to draw it all out. And we're to, we're to walk in all that he's given us, not just some of what he's given us. Think about um, if, if we just, and you know people like this, they've accepted Jesus, maybe when they were in Bible school, but their lives since then have not demonstrated any walk with God. They are not drawing on what God gave them when, he, when, he, um, when they accepted Jesus. They have the same inheritance that we have, but they're not drawing on it. And there's all kinds of reasons why they might not be. It could be because they just don't think that they're worthy of it. It could be that they just are in ignorance and they just don't know what's available to them, right? It could be that, um, you know, that they, uh, they're just walking in the world's way instead of drawing on what God has. Sometimes people get into the mindset that they have to give up a lot of what the world has to be able to walk God's way. You know, and they're not willing to make that decision. They may have, might have given themselves to the Lord at some point, but they haven't, and they haven't turned away from it, but they're not walking in it. And so everyone's reasoning for not drawing on it is just different. Sometimes it's maturity, sometimes it's not knowing, sometimes it's ignorance, sometimes it's not having been taught, sometimes it's just not getting into the Word. Some, I mean, there's all kinds of things, right? Sometimes it's just not getting revelation of it. And so, you know, that's a process. All those things are a process. So in order to fully walk in that, then we have to dig in to figure out what it is that we're to be, what, what's ours to fully know. Just like when you read a will, you're not going to know until they tell you what's in it, right? And so you've got to get in there and see what belongs to you to, in order to walk it out. If someone hands me a will and says, I have a million dollars, I'm not going to sit there and say, oh, okay, thanks. And just assume that's the end of it. I got to draw that out. I got to make that mine. I have to, you know what I mean? I have to grab a hold of it. And so that's the way we have to do with the covenant that God has given us. Those are all promises that He's given us. And what does He tell us? Um, the, uh, the scripture um, that it's, if it's God's promise, then you have the yes. Uh, where is that at? Can you help me? All right, so 2 Corinthians 1.20. Let's just run over there really quick and see if he's right. Any, any bets? Any wagers? Oh, look at that. Chapter 1 what? Okay. So it helps if I'm in the right Corinthians. Okay, so 
you said 2 Corinthians. And I still flipped over to 1 Corinthians. I was there, and then I went past it. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. Here it is. It's actually highlighted in my Bible. See, if I just would have looked. Uh, let's go to 18 just really quick. He says, but as surely as God is faithful, our message is you, uh, to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him has always been yes. If it's in him, it's always yes. For no matter how many promises that God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. It's like, I mean, to me, it's just like, all, if you find it in here, then it's yours, period. You don't have to question it. You don't have to, well, maybe, you know. It's, it's definitely yours. And all we have to do is draw that out. And, and we make it so hard. You know what I mean? We have gotten to this point where we have just made it so hard. Um, the word, we, we talked about this, Annie, uh, when she ministered, and she talked about the word hope. And so when you think about the word hope, you know, what does your brain typically go to? To me, it kind of goes to, well, it's a wish. Well, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. Well, I hope that I can get, you know, the money in time to pay the rent or the mortgage. Well, I hope that I can do this, or I hope that I... It's like a wish, or as she used the word desire. It's my desire that those be the case. But really, the word hope should be a confident expectation, right? We don't hope that we're going to see our loved ones in heaven again. We, know, we have a confident expectation that if they are in heaven, when we go, we're going to heaven and we're going to see them there. There's no question, when my mother passed, when Earl's mother passed, we both went through that six weeks apart a year and a half ago, and we both experienced that loss on earth. However, we had hope, a confident expectation that our future with them still lies ahead of us. The best part of our relationship with our mothers is still to come, praise the Lord. And we have a confident expectation, just as much as we have a confident expectation that we're going to be in heaven. Period. No one's going to talk us out of that. Is anyone going to talk you out of heaven? Are they going to sit there and say, well, I don't know if you're going or not. And you're like, really? I mean, you don't do that. You know you have a confident expectation that you are going to either, when you leave this earth in death, you're going to heaven. And I say death isn't a natural death, not, not a spiritual death. But that you will go to heaven or be, if, you know, if Jesus comes sooner. Praise the Lord, I'm hoping for that. <laughs> but the thing is, is that I know without any question that I'm going to heaven. And that confident expectation should be exactly the same for every other uh, promise that God has made. I should be just as unwavering, I should be just as confident in every promise that he's ever given as I am the fact that I'm going to heaven when I'm born again. Yes? So why is it that we get all out of sorts whenever, the, you know, whatever comes along? A health issue, or a financial crisis, or a work problem, or whatever it is. Why is it that we get all, because ah! we do, don't we? You know, we just get all freaked out. And there's no reason for that. We should have a confident expectation that God, who is our source, is the one who's going to deliver every single time, no matter what. He's, he never shows up late either. We think he is. We always put a plan B into motion, don't we? Oh, well, if it doesn't come, I guess we'll do this. Well, that's not a confident expectation, is it? That, that's not how we live. We are designed, we are made, we have become a new creature in such a way that we should walk totally different. God intended for us to be and look so different 
that people would be drawn to us because we're so different, that we don't stress, that we don't worry, that we don't freak out at every little thing. You know, we, I know people who are Christians, who walk in faith, who, who believe and, 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 you know, say that they're trusting God for their finances, but then every single time we talk to them, they're saying, oh, you know, finances are a real problem right now. I'm not going to have, an, I'm not sure I'm going to have enough to get to church next week because, I, you know, payday was last week and I don't know that I've got enough to stretch that far. Or I'm not sure I'm going to be able to go to the, you know, to this banquet or to that thing because I don't know if I can afford to do it and come to church. And I've had people tell me that. And you think that's crazy. But you know what? We've been there. <laughs> not to the point where we didn't think we were going to go to church. That was a priority. But other things, you know, well, I don't think we're going to be able to go to this because, you know, the gas the price, the price of gas has gone up. You know, I don't know. We live in Illinois. I don't know about you guys. But your, your taxes haven't skyrocketed through the roof on your fuel this year, have they? <laughs> they have for us. But we didn't let that affect us. We didn't think, uh-oh, we better start doing something now, tightening our belts, cinching, cinching down, because we're not going to be able to afford gas if the prices go up. That's a fear mentality, right? That's a, that is a mentality that is not expecting God to deliver. But we never did that. We, we have not concerned ourselves with that. He can raise taxes all he wants, but our God's going to provide. We don't get into a place of fear over those things because that didn't come as a surprise to our God. That, that whatever the governor decides to do isn't coming as a surprise to our God. He is able to see us through anything that our governor decides to put into play. You know? And so we're, we, we're not going to get into a place of fear over that. We're not going to get into a place of worry and concern over the fact that they've made marijuana illegal in the state of Illinois. I mean, really, things look ugly you know, <laughs> coming from, from our state. But they don't bother us. I mean, certainly we don't want those things to come to pass and we're praying against them, but we're not in a place of fear over them. We're not concerned to the degree that it's changing everything that we do and we're, we're starting to move things around in our life to line up in order to prepare for those things. Now, if he tells us to do that, if he tells us to do something to prepare, we will. But until then, we're not. We just put our trust in him. And we're just staying in a place of constant peace and rest. We're not allowing any reports to to cause us to be moved into a different position, right? You think about it, and I shared this too. Um, you think about an anchor. So think about, okay, so if you have an anchor, right? What does an anchor do? It's heavy, it goes underwater, it digs in, and it's supposed to hold your boat in place, right? To keep you from being shifted, to keep you from being blown and tossed about in the wind, is to keep you securely planted in one place, right? Okay, so that's what an anchor does. And you've got your boat up here. But if there's nothing connecting the anchor to the boat, and you throw that anchor overboard, are you safe? No, the wind is still going to come and blow, right? So what does it take to keep you anchored? So think about that anchor as your covenant. That's, your, that's the covenant God has for you. It is anchored, it is dug in, it is rooted, it is grounded. It's not going to move, right? And you're up here on top of the water, subject to the trials and the tribulations of life, right? You're up here dealing with the world. But if you don't have something tethering you to that anchor, then you're going to be blown all over the place. So your expectation, your hope in everything that covenant has, that's your 
lifeline. That's your tether. That's what keeps you rooted to that particular covenant, right? So if you have an expectation, a, a confident expectation that everything that's in that anchor is going to hold you secure, then you're going to stay tethered to it and you're going to stand and you're not going to move and you're not going to be moved by all the storms that rage around you because that anchor is going to hold you tightly, right? That's the way you have to think about your covenant. You have to be so hooked in to what God has said that nothing is going to jar you. Nothing is going to move you. Um, how many of you came over to the women's conference that we had in Effingham? Just two of you, three? Okay, Laura Mayer. Oh, and we got a hand up here. Laura Mayer. Do you remember Laura? She spoke the first night. She didn't share this there, but I've heard her, her tell this before. Um, her brother was having a birthday party. And they were outside at the house, and there were all these kids running around, all the cousins and all the, you know, friends or whatever. And they're all like a bunch of 10-year-olds. You know, that's how old they are. I don't know, 8 to 10, somewhere in there. And so the brother, I don't even know his name, climbs a tree. And he's up in the tree. You know, they climb trees all the time. They were, they were, you know, a bunch of, you know, country kids, and that's what they did. And, in fact, I don't think they had television growing up or anything. They, they played outside and worked and did whatever. Anyway, so he's up in this tree, not his first time in this tree, and he falls down. He falls out of this tree, and he lands face first on a root that has, you can, I mean, I can see the looks on your faces, right? I'm going to get, I'm going to go a little more graphic here. His face was concaved in. His eye was hanging out of its socket. I mean, this is what they saw when they seen him. He was unconscious, could not, you know, he wasn't able to be woken. The mom was in the house making lemonade or something for the, for the kids. She saw him fall. And you know how it is when you're in the house, you feel like you're a million miles away and you can't get there, right? Well, I guess um, one of the ladies that was there, was someone who went to church with him, she immediately went over and just started laying hands on him and, and praying over it. Mom comes out, and she, she's, you know, as you can imagine, she's probably in a little bit of a hurry <laughs> to get over there to his side. She sees his face. She doesn't do what you all did, you know. She just remained very calm. She remained very peaceful. And she just said, let's get him to the hospital. And so they called an ambulance, and they got the ambulance there, and the ambulance took him to the hospital, and she's following the ambulance. She's driving. And she's not freaking out. She's not all, Lord, my baby, you know, I mean, she's not doing those things. She's not crying. She's not, she's saying, and she's putting God in remembrance of his covenant. No harm shall come to my son, to my family. No plague come nigh or dwell. She stood on the, with a confident expectation of what God's covenant said and what she knew that she, was hers. And so she continued to speak it. She got to the hospital. The doctors are telling, he'd already he'd gotten there before her. They're already starting to look at him. She's waiting in the waiting room. They come out. You know, he's probably going to lose sight in his eye. We're going to have to see multiple facial plastic surgeons to reconstruct his face. Bones are broken everywhere. Um, he is going to look deformed probably for the rest of his life. We're not going to be able to, to securely put it all back together and make it look normal. He's not going to look normal ever again. And there's a very good chance that he has suffered brain damage. From the, from the impact, um, much like a severe concussion can cause brain damage. That's, that was the prognosis. And she, she heard it all. She wasn't, you know, arguing with them. She just listened to it all, and, they, and she said, so what are you going to do? And he said, well, we're going to move him. We can't, we can't do this here. You know, we gotta, we, he's going to have to be air transported to another hospital. And you won't be able to ride with him in the helicopter, so you want to drive and get there, you know. And, and they even encouraged her, you may want to bring in some family because it's going to get... It could, it's very grim. You know, he may not even survive. 
Okay, so she gets in their car and she starts driving and all the way. Once again, she is just praising God. She's reminding him of, she, she put a demand on that covenant. This is what you have said. And this is, I will not accept anything else, anything less than your perfect whole healing of this boy. She gets to the hospital. She goes in there. The doctors come out, and they had done their own x-rays and things and compared them. You know, of course, they had seen the ones. They have all the electronic imaging now. They can see it all on the computer. Those bones were no longer broken. The swelling dissipated from his face. They had put his eyeball back in. He could see perfectly. He went home that night completely whole and healed. The man is married, has children, has a full-time job. Zero, zero effects from that fall because she stood tethered to that covenant. She, she was unmoved by what the doctor said. She was unmoved by what she saw. She was unmoved by, she didn't let worry, oh, you know, immediately start taking her down the, you know. Some of us would have been like, well, he's going to be a vegetable. How are we going to afford that? We're going to have to sell the house. We're going to have to, you know, I mean, you, we, people go there, right? She didn't. And as a result, because she stood completely unmoved by what she saw, she received exactly what God had told her that she could have in that covenant. That's the, that's the type of confident expectation that we should have in everything that God has promised. Completely unwavering. And that when we're like that, then we stay in peace. She didn't freak out. She wasn't on that roller coaster of emotions. She just kept saying, I don't care what it looks like, God. I know what you've told me. You have said this. And as a result, I plead the blood over my son. And I know that you have said that you will make him whole and healed and perfect. And he is, I will accept nothing less. And that's exactly what she received. So it, it sounds, again, really good. <laughs> Yay, okay, we can do it. The thing of it is, is that's how he intends for us to walk. And the reason he intends for us to walk that way is so that we can carry out the will of God on earth without having to worry about all these things, right? Go to Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, let me read it out of this. And let's go to verse 24. I'm just going to read a section of this right at the end of it. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says, You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. We cannot serve God and also be enslaved to money. Now, he's talking about having a love of money at this point, you know, putting money before him. Um, but he also knows that we cannot fully serve him if our first concern is about all the details. If we are so wrapped up in all the things that we don't think we've got provision for, all the things that we're going to worry about, all the things that's going to keep us from doing what he's told us to do, we're never going to be able to fulfill his will. We're never going to be able to walk out what he has put us here to do, which is to deliver the good news. If our lives don't look like the good news, then how are we even a witness to others, right? That's why we have got to stop looking like the world. We've got to stop smelling like the world. We've got to stop acting like the world, and we have to stop talking like the world. And most of everything that comes out of our mouths talks like the world. Most everything that comes from us in our lives, and I, I'm talking about us too. I mean, we, we have had to really, at least I have, I'll say from, speak for myself at this point, looked at myself and said, what am I doing and is it, does it look different from what they're doing? You know, when we have a crisis, do we go to the answers from the world or are we going to answers from God? If I, if I need wisdom on something, am I seeking the world's wisdom or am I seeking God's wisdom? 
And he tells us in James, if you're going to ask for wisdom, then you better also listen to it and heed it. Because otherwise, what are we? We're, we're just like a, you know, a wave that's tossed to and fro. I mean, where the wind is blowing us around. We cannot do the will of God if we're so concerned and consumed about the things of the world. We have got to stop letting the things of the world affect what God has told us to do here. We only have one role. That's why, that's why we're still here, is to increase and grow the kingdom of God, right? So continue in verse uh, 25. This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. This is a, the New Living Translation. Whether you have enough food or enough to drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food or your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? When I was fretting over where Mackenzie was during that trip, did I add any, anything good in my life? I wasted almost an hour on that whole conjuring mess, you know? There, not only did I add anything to my life, I took away a lot. You know, I mean, I aged considerably in that hour. I didn't have near the gray hair that I had. I mean, and why worry, verse 28, and why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies in the field and how they grow. Don't, uh, they don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as, beautiful as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Verse 31, so don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly... Okay, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, right? Not believers... Don't let these things dominate your thoughts because if you are, you're no different than the unbelievers. You're no different than the lost. You're no different than the world. That's why I said you can't, we've got to stop thinking like they do. We've got to let these things, and we have control over our thoughts. That's a whole other service, but there, you know, we have control. He tells us to hold captive our thoughts that don't line up with his thoughts, right? All right, so we'll go on. Uh, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. Th verse 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. If we put our focus and attention on only what the kingdom of God has, then we don't have, and, and we stop worrying about all this other nonsense, we can do so much more for God than we can Constantly thinking about our finances, where that's going to come from, where our next meal is going to come from, where the car payment is going to come from, where the car repairs are going to come from, where the rent money is going to come from, where the mortgage payment is going to come from, the insurance, the taxes, the whatever. We put ourselves in such a place that we can't even think about the things of God because all this other stuff is right here. And when it's all right here, we can't see anything around it. We can't see what God wants us to do. We can't see the person in the grocery store who's needing our prayer. We can't see the person, you know, that works right next to us at work. Who is, who's dealing with life issues that we can minister to. We are so wrapped up in our own worlds and our own thoughts and our own selfish motivations on things that we can't even do what God wants us to do, which is the whole reason why we're here. That's, we're only here for one purpose, and that is to build the kingdom of God, to seek the kingdom of God above all else. So we have got to start, you know, get into a place where we're no longer looking like the world and start thinking about the things of God and let him take care of the need.
Because he said he would. He promised us he would. It's always yes to that. We should not even be in a place of anxiety over anything. We should always be in a place of peace because he said that he would provide it. Know what your covenant is. Know what belongs in your covenant and claim it. Put a demand on God for it and move on. There isn't any reason to just constantly worry over things like that. And I, I feel, like I said, I think the world, that's what the world expects you to do. That's what the world looks at you and sees in us, is any of the same things that they're dealing with. If they're not seeing anything different in you, then they're not going to be drawn to the goodness of God. You have to be the goodness of God in the earth. That's who we are. And if we're not walking any differently than the world, then where's the goodness of God? Where's the demonstration of that? Where's the witness of that? Amen? I think we'll close there. Speaking of Star Wars, we were watching this show. What's it called? Mandalorian? Have you seen that? Anybody here have Disney Plus? Okay, so we get it for free because we have Verizon. And so we started watching it. And all the Star Wars stuff is on there. And this show called Mandalorian. Well, this Mandalorian is basically a bounty hunter. So just think of him as a bounty hunter. And he goes into this, far, this foreign land, and he needs some help. And so he, he asks for the assistance of this, um, this guy to help him. And so he finally agrees to help him. And as he's, everything that he would say to him, so he's giving you know, direction, we're going to go in here, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this. And then he would say, I have spoken. And then that would, that's the end of it, right? That's the way God does. He's given us his covenant. He has spoken. There's no argument. You're not going to talk yourself out of it. You're not going to change anything. Nothing can change what God has given you. The only thing that, that can stop it from coming to you is you. No one can stop it from coming to you but you. And God has provided it all. So get into the word. Find out what it is that you're supposed to have. Find out what it is that you're supposed to walk in. Discover all the things he's provided. And every single promise, if it says it in there, it's yours. And know that you have the yes on it. Claim it. Put a, put a demand on God for it, and then just keep on going in constant peace. Constant peace. Do you want to close? I'll let you close. You can turn me off.